Mission Kona podcast, where our focus is on highlighting age group athletes doing amazing things in the triathlon space. My name is Michelle Payne. And I am Mike Payne. We are husband and wife, amateur triathletes, parents, and self-proclaimed coffee connoisseurs, both working in corporate America. Mike is also a triathlon coach and recently qualified for Kona in October of 2023. Michelle completed her first half Ironman in 2021 and plans to race a full Ironman in the near future. This podcast is a journey to discovering what it takes to be competitive in triathlon, sharing stories, and finding the inspiration to go after challenging but worthwhile goals. Thanks for joining us. We're glad you're here. Hello, everyone. Mission Kona podcast, the podcast that highlights top age group triathletes, and that's exactly what we're going to do today. My name is Mike Payne. And I'm Michelle Payne. And we have an amazing athlete with us, Tom DeBron. So I just want to give a couple highlights of of what Tom has done over his career. So he's raced Kona three times. His first time was in 2017. He was 84th in his age group. In 2018, he was 64th. And then he raced this year, finishing first in his age group with an 841.30. That's an incredible progression of his Kona uh, history and truly an amazing time. Eight forty one, incredible. Um, and leading up to Kona twenty twenty two, Tom had some amazing races: four age group wins, two second place finishes in Ironmans, a third place finish, a fourth place finish, um, and an incredible twenty twenty one Cozumel first place finish with a time of eight sixteen oh eight. I was actually racing that day, um, and I can say it was a it was a fast day. But eight sixteen is that, that's smoking fast. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of pros that don't race that fast, um, and I was a, I was I was just under two hours behind that. Um, I did walk the last eight miles, so that was a <laughs> it was a struggle. But um, anyway, that was a, a long intro. Tom, thanks for for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks. Very excited to uh, share my story. Awesome. Um, Tom, could you share uh, with the listeners where you live um, and where you train on a regular basis? Uh, I currently live in San Francisco in California, um, and I'm originally from Belgium. I moved to California about seven years ago. Awesome. What What brought you to the California area? Um, I'm currently still working at the same company where I started seven years ago. It's a biotech company called Genentech in the Bay Area. I got my PhD in pharmaceutical sciences. I work as a scientist in uh, drug discovery. Awesome. Well, that's a, that's one great thing. We're obviously interviewing age group athletes. You don't, you have times that look like you're a professional, but you manage an incredible amount of time working full-time in a very demanding career, um, and then also racing at a very top level. What first drew you to triathlon? Do you have an athletic background in swimming, biking, or running? What was kind of your introduction to triathlon? Before I moved to San Francisco, I was living in England for a couple of years um, in Manchester. And I started running there to kind of fill the gap of uh, not having competitive soccer anymore, uh, which I was doing in Belgium. So when I started running and I started exploring kind of the endurance uh, aspects of running. Um, I started using Strava and my friend, one of my friends uh, who at the time lived in California, Niels van de Castella, he started doing triathlon and actually qualified for Kona. So that kind of inspired me to explore it as well. Um, But I didn't really know anything about it. Um, I didn't know how to swim, so I had to follow adult swim lessons. And then when I eventually joined Genentech, uh, my signing bonus became my first road bike. So I started exploring on my new bike, the environment, uh, joined a local triathlon club in San Francisco called uh, San Francisco Triathlon Club. And it was really just a way of getting to know people, finding a new social network after moving from uh, Europe to San Francisco, which was very scary at the time. Um, so I needed some kind of social network. I needed to find friends. And that's why I decided to give triathlon a try. Awesome. I think that's uh, true for a lot of new triathletes where they just don't know how to swim. And it can be 
pretty scary at first. Um, so you said you had a little bit of a running background. Were you running like 14 minute 5Ks um, eight years ago? Was there was there this unbelievable running athlete um, that's hidden behind uh, this un- uh, athlete? <laughs> Not really. Um, I started, I, I played soccer at a, not really too i mean it was a competitive level but it was not nowhere near professional level or anything like it um i was a midfielder and i did have to just my my role in the team was to run basically from box to box so my endurance was strong but i i never tried any kind of 5 or 10k or even i don't know any running events um it was really when i moved to manchester and, and in the back of my mind always wanted to do a marathon that I started looking into it and started running a little bit more. And then on my birthday in Manchester, there happened to be a marathon. I was like, okay, this is meant to be. I'm signing up for this thing and just kind of tried it and downloaded a training program online. And like in the next, I don't know, six, eight weeks, which was way too short, but I didn't know that at the time, um, kind of ramped up my volume a little bit and, and did the marathon. And then my first time was pretty good. Um, I think I ended up doing something like three thirty, which is a is a is a solid time. Um, but it just kind of hooked me, and and it was like, okay, now I want to see where where my limits are, and like got to know so many people through it, and yeah, it was just really fun. Yeah, three thirty is a, a great time for your first first marathon. Um, your so was that your first ever race of any kind? Was it a marathon? Uh, yes, yeah, that was my. <laughs> Uh, running uh my first yeah my first endurance event for sure yes uh and um what year was the manchester marathon uh it was 2014 awesome so you moved to california um was it eight years ago seven years ago uh that was in 2016 i believe yeah and joined uh triathlon community san francisco tri club correct yeah yeah san francisco tri club it's a local uh, kind of smaller uh, triathlon club in San Francisco, downtown San Francisco, and yeah, went to their kickoff meeting in January, and <laughs> um, then joined their program leading up to a local race called Napa uh, Napa Triathlon, and yeah, I think they're called now Hits. Um, but that's kind of the first race I was going to do with them. Um, they had a group lead like training into that and i really needed some support because i absolutely had no idea what i was doing <laughs> so your first race is on a road bike oh yeah my first season was on a road bike yeah how many yeah. wins did you have that season um well the first race was a half ironman which i believed at the time was something i could easily do because mm-hmm. i had run a marathon sure. um but it didn't end up being that easy because I really didn't know how to swim and the bike was also very new. Um, so last minute, I kind of panicked. And then I I also wanted to know what the transitions were about. So then I signed up for a sprint triathlon just to get through at least that one, which was kind of a month before, I think. Um, and that was in Stanford. It's called the Stanford Triathlon. I did really well there on my road bike in the um, non draft legal competition i think i ended up getting an age group award but i didn't know there were age group awards mm-hmm. so i never stayed for it i didn't know what it was yeah <laughs> so sure. then I played it. um anyways that was kind of the first one and then in napa for that 70.3 i did get uh, a good result as well i think i got fourth overall um behind some very very strong athletes uh, that i looked up for a long time uh, after after that and i think in general those local races are maybe not quite as competitive compared to some other like ironman for example races or so i think yeah i did get uh, an age group uh, trophy but i feel like maybe the competition was not quite as strong at that point there but it was definitely my first one and i was super excited about it and and one of the best parts about that race was that because we went there with a big group, um, we started cheering for everyone uh, that was doing the event too. And so it's a local kind of like vibe with camping and drinking a beer after. And it, it was just amazing. It was just like 
uh, cheering for literally the last person in our group who was almost the last person to finish the race. Um, Canada made it really special. Yeah, yeah triathlon is pretty unique where where the we're watching the the last finishers are sometimes more exciting than the first finisher, honestly. Yeah. yeah. And the support behind it. It's, yeah. it's pretty cool. Absolutely. Um, so kind of as your triathlon journey started taking off, did you at any point decide to be a, a coached athlete to bring someone on board to work specifically with you on certain aspects of your training? Pretty early on, we that first season, I, I did Napa all by myself with the support, of course, of that group. And then later in the season, I kind of walked away from triathlon for a little bit, just for a few months. I did San Francisco Marathon because I still was really into running. Um, and then we um, had, through the club, a coached, a, it was a group that was coached by the same person, um, Felicity Joyce. And they were targeting a specific race that we were all doing as a group. And so it wasn't one-on-one coaching, but as a group, we were coached by this person um, leading up to Santa, uh, Santa Cruz 70.3. Uh, so we all did that race. And I think that was the first time that I yeah, saw what like structured training could do. I wasn't really thinking about my weaknesses or anything. It was more like, what is coaching? What is structured training exploring that and and was this coach did this coach coach you through your first ironman race or did you get a different coach prior to doing your first full ironman i ended up signing up for the first ironman that same year which remember was still my first triathlon season yep uh, again i think i was pretty naive in uh in my whole journey and i ramped it up pretty quickly i ended up going to Ironman Los Cabos, um, but through circumstances, emotionally, not so much physically, I ended up doing the swim and then called it and DNF'd. Um, I grabbed my bike, went back to the hotel on the day after I was back in San Francisco. Um, and yes, my coach kind of, I stayed on, stayed with her until that uh, race, then also took a break from triathlon because it was off season. And then later, in the next season, I started working with a coach from Belgium, uh, a very famous coach, coach um, who won Ironman Kona twice back in the 90s. Um, and that's Luc van Lierde. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. Heard of him? So I, I started working with him uh, in my second season. So I think that was for sure my more scientific way of being coached and, and really trying to increase my performance rather than exploring coaching and, and, and what it could do. So at what point did you set your sights on qualifying for Kona? Was that something right away you knew was a goal for you or something as you got further in you, you thought, um, Hey, I might have a chance. I think it wasn't necessarily a, a goal, but it was maybe a dream from the beginning onwards because of the way I got into it. My friend inspired me by going to Kona and qualifying for that race um and so that was like whoa if he can do that maybe i should give it a try and and then my early results were pretty decent right away so i think from early on it was not a goal but it was kind of a dream and then when i when i did my first ironman i dnf'd but then i had bought this t-shirt or sweater from ironman los cabos which i wasn't allowed to wear because it didn't (laughs) sure so I signed up for the same race the year after, but then that was a year later. So, I mean, my second season is starting and I couldn't wait. And then they had a, a local Ironman called Ironman Santa Rosa. They don't do it anymore, but it, they stopped doing it. Um, but that was then my first Ironman that I finished. And there was no goal for qualifying. It was just, let's see what I can do. And then my next race in Cabo will be my more competitive race if I do well uh, in the first one. So my parents came from Belgium and I really, I don't know, just enjoyed uh, getting healthy to that start line. But then my coach really helped me and my training was going extremely well. And um, that race itself, without having too much of a goal there, um, went really well and ended up second in my age group there. And then I did qualify for Kona oh. right away. Wow. Wow. Your first, your first full Ironman and you qualified for Kona. Yeah. Um, so Santa wrote, that was 30 to 34. 
age group? Uh, yes. Yeah. And second, um, and then, so then you, did you race Los Cabos that same year? Well, I was like, um, forget about Los Cabos. Let's go to Kona. That may yeah. never happen again. Um, right. And then a really, really good friend, um, I call her sometimes my second mom, um, from work. She's really into triathlon and she's for a long time, um, been, been doing triathlon and also raising money through team in training. And she was the representative for team in training to go to Kona that year. Uh, so she was, um, her name, her name is Terry. She was raising, I believe her goal was $50,000, uh, to go wow. to Kona. And so I went to Kona uh, through the qualification, but then we went together, uh, and that was kind of our first Kona experience. It was unbelievable. Um, I was such a rookie for her. It was a big dream to go there. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty, pretty, uh, unbelievable. Um, but yeah, my race there, of course, didn't really go that well. I wasn't really prepared for it. I had never been to Hawaii. Um, I was not expecting at all, like the humidity and, and, and even my nutrition plan was not really dialed at all. Um, so my race went really bad. I walked literally more than half of the marathon. Um, and I, because I did so poorly in the run part of the, the, the race, my legs were fine. And then because everything was paid for in Cabo, I was like, oh, you know what? I may as well go try. Um, I'm not going to get any of my money back. So let's just give it a go. And in a way, looking back after that whole year, Kona was almost a training day for Cabo and Cabo actually went really well again. I want to dig into training for your first Kona versus training for the race that just took place a couple of weeks ago. Like what were some of your biggest, the, the biggest differences for training for the race in 2017 versus training for the race that you just won? Ooh, there is, <laughs> is there so much? There is a lot. Um, first of all, the, the knowledge that I have, about uh, triathlon in general and working with a coach that I've worked with now for the last three years has been the biggest difference. So um, things like, I think, nutrition is probably number one um, going to Kona without a dialed nutrition plan is an absolute recipe for disaster. So I think that's by far number one. Um, and I think another uh big one is also i, I started doing that we look finally years ago but um having lactate defined uh um, training zones which i've done now for four or five years that really helps a lot too and then i think prep prepping for this one for this i also went to altitude for a little sure. while and i think that helped a lot as well so yeah. Those are just unpack that that comment about a lactate. Obviously, lactate's a big discussion point right now with the Norwegians doing tons of lactate training. Uh, Michelle has a bruised finger from yesterday. She did her first lactate um, panel. So I, uh, I I'm a I'm a coach myself, and and um, so she did a uh, a ramp test yesterday. Did lactate. So how are you? St you're still using lactate now um, with your Correct. your current coach. Um, how do you use it? How often, how often are you checking? Um, are they more race pace lactate test? Or are you doing threshold VO2 max? Intervals? We do um, regular ramp tests. Um, and I think that's just to set your zones, mm -hmm. um, right? You yeah, basically de define or, or, or measure where your lactate is increasing. And then based on that profile, um, you have your thresholds and, and based on your threshold, you set your zones. Um, so I think that's one thing that we, we use, but what I think we use in training is for example, if I do threshold workouts or just under threshold workouts, and then they, some people call it sweet spot workouts, mm -hmm. they need to be sweet spot workouts. So they need to be at a level where you are not really accumulating too much lactate. And so I think, especially on the trainer, um, you can very easily implement that 
after your intervals, if you have four times eight minutes and after the first one, you measure your lactate and it sits not at the desired level that you were hoping to see with your coach, then you decrease the level for the second one. You decrease the intensity and then the other way around, if you have, if you feel like you have a better day, you're well recovered, your lactate is low, then maybe you can at that point increase the intensity to get that a little bit higher and actually get your training stimulus right when you where you want it to be. And we do that with the bike. We do that at track sessions for the run in a very similar way. Um, that's how we really use it. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, we we can probably talk for an hour about this topic, so we're not gonna we're not gonna belabor it. But um, I think it is interesting. I know that there's a lot of people using it, and there's a lot of people, even even some pros that that won't be won't use it. I know Joe Skipper jokes around it on on his podcast, but I think it is a useful tool um, to make sure it- you're training in the right zones, and you can use heart rate a little bit to make sure you're in the right zone. But lactate is something that doesn't fluctuate a lot right it's it's um it's definitely nothing new i mean there's a whole hype around it because of the norwegians being so vocal about it but like i said with my coach luke van leer that this is like five six years ago uh we would like every three months i would have to take a like a profile and they would send it to him and then he would analyze it and then he would adjust my training zone so it's it's really nothing too new i think it's just a very objective way of of looking at it and with my coach Lauren uh, Goss from Black Sheep uh, Endurance she's also like yeah very much into it in, in a way of like this is the only way we can really look at it objectively and how your intensity is related to that is really what we're shooting for and then you set out a plan in terms of training stimulus and see how it works and how you improve um, and I don't just for our audience uh, when did you start working with Lauren uh, Goss uh, three years ago. Okay. Yeah. Right. So right 2019. So right before the pandemic, correct? Uh, yeah, I, we were in Nice 70.3. Yep. The world. And, um, I got in touch with her there. And then since then we started working together. I want to get into some specific training that you've done, uh, leading into this block of for, for Kona. I know we're just a couple weeks out of, of Kona now, so hopefully it's still fresh. For for the swim, I know it's something that you're still obviously you're still working on. What is your your typical week look like for swim during a during a uh, Ironman block? I probably swim five, maybe even six times a week if I have time for it. Um, I think one of those sessions is um, definitely a threshold session. Then one of them is probably more of a strength with a lot of like paddles and, and pulling um, one or two or maybe recovery swims. And then I think one big pacing over distance pacing swim. Is everything structured from Lauren or do you do some masters or I, during my Ironman uh, blocks, like the 10 weeks leading into it, I probably swim almost everything by myself here and there a recovery swim. If I feel like I really need to swim with someone will be a masters. And I try to really, keep it as a recovery swim which i think is hard yeah uh, but most of my other swims i don't really have a group of people that are the same all my friends are either faster uh most of them are faster so if we do a structured workout the times are so different that it's hard to kind of stick together um yeah you know, like- what, what is your like a threshold set um on what what's your normal turnaround uh give me an example of a, a threshold set that you might you might do some 200s or uh 100s that's probably another one i think if i swim 117 and i go on the wall at 130 yep that's some that's probably like 10 15 of those your iron man pace what your threshold might look like because there's i know there's a lot of swimmers out there that that might be able to swim that, but when they get into open water, they might be a few minutes slower than you. So are you able to, are you able to get in open water swimming at all? Yeah. Is that something that's in your, in your. A, yeah. In San Francisco, there is a, it's called the aquatic park. It is pretty protected cove where we can go open water swimming. And usually in peak season, one of my, uh, one of my, recovery swim becomes an easy open water swim so i just kind of love to get your perspective on how the swim was at kona this year uh sure yeah i think in general the swim in kona is 
amazing. Um, it's warm water, so you don't have to like go in the water and freeze your ass off for a while. And it's also very tropical, so you can see a lot. Um, in one of the practice swims, I saw dolphins, and you can see a million fish, so it's it's very beautiful. Okay. Of course, during the race, you're not really focused on that. Um, it used to be a mass start with thousands of people, and that's extremely uh, aggressive. <laughs> and uh, it's not a fun experience for the first five, maybe 700 yards. Um, there's a lot of like pulling and, and fighting and, I don't know, like fighting for your spot, and it, it's very aggressive. Um, they've changed it now to an age group wave start, where I think it's, for me, it was like 400 people. It doesn't really change too much, too much, honestly, because you're still surrounded by strong athletes and people that really want to go out fast. But still, it was a little bit better. And I think knowing the first 500 yards is going to be aggressive. And if you really are competitive, you want to get through that. And you need to be in the front. So you need to swim hard. If you're not really too worried about your time in Kona, or at least your position right away, maybe you go third, fourth row, and you don't really get that experience. So I think they've definitely, because of the age group waves, made it more comfortable, <laughs> but it's still an aggressive start. In the first 500, you're swimming pretty much on top of everyone, all out, as much as you can swim, because sometimes there's just too many body parts in the way. And then after the first 500, it kind of settles, and then you try to find a pack or someone at least to to hold their feet and get a good draft and, and relax a little bit more. And and I think at that point, compared to any other races, like if you're a stronger elite uh, amateur, you're going to find yourself in like positions in normal races where you're just by yourself or there's not a lot of people around you. But in Kona, because there's so many strong swimmers, you will always have people around you to draft off. And you will always find someone that even if you lose a person, there is always going to be this other person that kind of swims your pace and you can use them to your benefit. So I think the swim in general is pretty hard in the beginning, but as soon as you get through that, it gets a little comf more comfortable and you're just focused on holding feet the whole, the rest of the way. Okay. Uh, yeah. It certainly looks, looks like a mass start when you see the large age, age yeah. group um, go. Um, but, but, but yeah, I can see how after 500 yards, it breaks, breaks up a little bit. So let's talk a little bit about uh, bike training. Average weekly volume. Um, if you use training peaks, you know what are what do you what does your coach generally prescribe uh, when it comes to bike? And and just so our audience knows, he got I think he had the third fastest bike this year, Bicona. So while he may not have had the fastest swim, you had a lot of uh, carrots to catch on the bike, right? <laughs> Playing Pac-Man on the bike. <laughs> um, well, my bike volume in general, I think, is relatively high. Um, not really sure how that compares to other uh, elite uh, amateurs, but I tend to bike probably 10 hours a, a week. And then for this specific block into Kona, I think it was more like 13 to 15 hours, which I think is that's pretty big for me. It always goes in, in blocks of 10 days uh, where I try to really push it and then really have like three to five days a little bit easier. I still ride, but not quite to the same intensity and volume. Uh, to really recover and I try to align those especially in Africa now those blocks with either being at altitude and then coming back and recover and then I went to Hawaii for uh, 10 days and then again a big block in Hawaii and then recover from that again so I think um, yeah that's kind of in terms of volume for the bigger sessions typically for me that's going to be on Saturday because my work just doesn't allow it to do any of those workouts during the week. Um, and those are five to seven hour rides. And they cap at a TSS of 320, uh, okay. something like that. So they definitely are not just easy rides. They have a lot of pacing in. Um, Lauren and I have tried also to really work on is trying to somehow mimic the, the tired leg feeling. And so the day before that longer uh, endurance or pacing ride on Saturday, we then tend to do a harder threshold or sub-threshold ride on Friday, which still could be a two, two and a half hour ride. Uh, so I think the combination of those Friday, Saturday rides 
definitely gets your legs pretty tired. So if you're running off the bike Saturday, again, with some pacing in there, it, it starts to feel not quite as the same, but it starts to feel like you're running. I'm guessing you're also getting some, um, th- those hard, intense bike rides on Saturday come, you do specific pace runs off of those, you know, so you're doing a brick session. My typical brick runs are 40, 45 minutes. Um, it's definitely not really a workout in terms of like running workout. I just really need to see whether my nutrition was fine on the bike and whether how quick I can find my legs and then how I feel at a certain uh, intensity, usually my Ironman pace. Uh, and then really there is no stitches. There is no in, like in, insanely high heart rate, um, stuff like that. I think mm-hmm. that's what we're looking for in those key uh, break runs. And you do you do most of your bike training outdoors? Being in California, you probably have that option quite a bit. Is that kind of your go-to? Yeah, I think in the winter, I tend to have Zwift or uh, other platforms to do indoor training, but I don't like it. So it's really if I need to. Um, I also have uh, polo fields in Golden Gate Park, which is like a single lap of about a mile and a little bit. And I can, it's no stop signs, no lights. So I can really do all my intervals there, spot on exactly the watts that I'm, 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 I'm intended to do them at. The only thing is like, if I do it there, I, taking lactate becomes a little bit harder because I'm outside. So when I do a trainer sub-threshold or threshold, then then I combine that with lactate testing inside. But usually all my other riding, like 95% of my riding is all outside. And that's just because I live in California and the weather is so nice. And yeah, it's just a way. You can of- take advantage of the hills in, uh, in San exactly. Francisco, right? And so just um, Michelle is not super comfortable on the bike. We right. I wish we had a polo field where she could ride. I'm very jealous um, of that. I would love to. <laughs> I need to work on my bike confidence. I ride on my trainer too much. Yeah, I see that with a lot of a lot of people um that once they're too too much on the trainer even very strong guys on the on the everyman jack triathlon team very strong riders on on zwift <laughs> they still somehow seem to struggle a little bit more outside when it mm-hmm. comes to technical descents or, or stuff like that so yeah, yeah absolutely are you on your uh your tri bike most of the time when you're outdoors or do you have a road bike or any other bikes that you that you ride Oh, there is, of course, I have more than one bike. <laughs> um, I have a, a TT bike that I would probably use for 80% of my rides in peak training, for sure. Um, but I still tend to ch- switch it up for my recovery rides. I do have a gravel bike or a cyclocross bike uh, that I take into the hills and on the trails. And if it's really just a recovery ride, I don't really even look at my power or heart rate. I just go spin out my legs. Um, I also have a really nice road bike. So even sometimes in recovery weekends, I tend to switch it up and, and not really worry too much about my TT bike um, and just go ride in the hills with my road bike. So yeah, I definitely switch it up still. Now, obviously, you have uh, an incredible strength um, on the bike and you also have this great run split. So with your run training, um, walk me through again the, the the Kona build for this year. So much uh, for for athletes, it's about not getting injured, and the run is is something that can can cause that. Um, what what did you do this this block? Um, and what are some examples of of run workouts uh, or your your threshold pace that you you target for some of your uh, workouts? Um, I think yeah, you, you nailed it. Like I think staying injury free while you're increasing your run volume that's number one so i think getting weekly massages for me has helped i also follow uh, a program called ec fit um they do a lot of triathlon specific uh, strength working workouts it's not really like bulking up in the gym but it's definitely functional strength mobility uh, and staying on top of that has helped rolling out my legs simple as that it's also like something that helped uh, I did increase my run volume a lot for this um, for this block intentionally. I really wanted to see whether <laughs> that would pay off in Kona. Um, usually, I probably cap my big weeks around 35, maybe 40 miles. But I think they were now more regular. 
my normal weeks became 40 miles and i think i kept it out at like over 50 just over 50 um also with typical uh, i would not really run 20 or 21 miles but i definitely did that a couple of times so having i was in kona and i ran 21 miles there that's definitely a first um several 18 milers and then the 15 milers those were typically my my more uh let's say my max runs my longest runs they become more the regular long runs now so i think definitely there was definitely a shift in going a little bit in higher volume um, and then still having one day a week where it was lactate-based uh, threshold or sub-threshold work, kilometer repeats or mile repeats, uh, stuff like that. And, and what is your your threshold pace if you're doing those mile repeats? What does that what does that pace look like? So I don't think I run quite often at my threshold. I think if I look would follow my lactate, I'd probably run around five forty, five thirty five mile pace for still have much uh, controlled lactate production there but i think my my 1k or one mile repeats are more like high five minute miles like 550 if i don't really feel that recovered more like six or 610 something like that yeah. and your your race pace uh, off the bike is is somewhere around 650 is that kind of the the, the goal yeah per mile? Although- Go out way way too hot way too hot in uh in Hawaii. I started running, felt really good. Wanted to like put some time in the guys right away, and I was running at six twenty five, went six thirty. So that was maybe a little ambitious. I definitely paid for it at the end a little too. Um, but yeah, typical. I would say six fifty. That's kind of my target pace. Yeah. yeah, I think it's good for our audience to hear that too because I, I, you have a, a lot of pace variability, right? So you have your threshold where you're running sub six minute pace. I'm sure you have race pace, um, long runs where you have a, a chunk of it be at 650. But then, what is a like an easy run pace for you? Look oh like? you, yeah, that's the thing. Uh, yeah, easy is easy. My easy is like 830 pace, 815 pace. I would never really go in seven something pace. It would always be super easy. Um, very, very, very conversational. I mean, not even like really sweating um it's really just an active recovery jog if i do recovery runs like that yeah that's awesome that's awesome to hear i mean it's uh you're, you're looking at a minute and a half or 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 so slower than your race pace and yeah. there's there's so many people that their race pace ends up being their easy pace and um you just can't build volume very easily doing that right so you couldn't get to 50 plus miles a week if you were doing things that intense uh, totally. yeah, without, without, think, without getting injured right i think if you look at my overall volume um that's probably where lauren has been extremely helpful like she only lets me from those 50 miles let's say there is probably only five miles where i run fast and then from the other 45 miles it's probably maybe five to eight miles tempo and the rest is all like easy and easy meaning like i'm barely running so there is a really big difference between fast and easy. Fast is really fast and easy is really easy. And the, I think the only way to really get to that volume consistently is by recovering well. And if you run your easy runs too fast, that just gets to you eventually. And, and, and even though you don't realize you're digging a hole, eventually it definitely catches up. That, that really resonates with me because I think I have that issue of <laughs> my easy runs are probably, you know, my range just isn't there because there may be 30 seconds between my fast and my easy, but it, it's good to hear that that easy really needs to be taken easy. So yeah, just an example, she had a run today, an easy run, um, 90 minutes or so. And, um, and she did it at 820 pace, which is not too far off your 70.3 pace. Right. Um, but you know, so, but her marathon open marathon pace is somewhere around seven thirty. So where your open marathon pace would be, I would, I, I, I couldn't guess, but two, maybe two forty-five marathon. Yeah, I think so. Yes. Everyone can go slower. Going slower <laughs> is discipline, right? Like yeah, everyone can right. slower. going faster is uh, the problem, but a lot of people just by running slower and a little bit more, 
tend to become a lot faster. So I think right. that's run but, run slow to run fast. I've heard I've heard that a time or two. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk about the awesome day that you had in in Kona. Um I would love to hear some details about the how the swim went, what you saw on the bike, and then the run that you had, um, ultimately finishing with a first place finish. So can you walk me through race morning? Um, I tend to eat very boring stuff before. The day before, it's always something like pasta or rice and some chicken um, for lunch and dinner. And then breakfast, I would even eat just plain rice, a little bit of oil and literally that's about it if i have some chicken left then i'll eat a little bit of chicken that's it uh, so something that is completely absorbed so nothing stays behind in my in my gut then i wake up probably two two and a half hours before the race um start and then first thing i do is drink coffee like every person <laughs> and uh try to go to the bathroom uh have my breakfast as soon as i wake up and then um uh, in this case, we were dropped off at the race probably at 5, and the race was at 6.40, my start. Um, so plenty of time in advance, I think. Um, the bike was already there. The bags, the run and the, and the bike bags were already dropped off. So there is really not, nothing to do. Uh, you have to tire, uh, inflate your tires and put your nutrition on your bike, and that's it, and go line up. There was no swim start. Um, so I tend to jog a little bit just to make sure I need to go to the bathroom. But in this case, I had gone to the bathroom already. And so that wasn't really necessary. So then, yeah, just line up, get, get, get off your feet as soon as you get in the corral and drink some water. Um, I started using ketones as well a couple of years ago. So I have that an hour before my swim start. Yeah, that's it. Ready to go. (laughs) (laughs) Then the swim, um, went fine i got i was a little worried about still the the start uh, a couple of years ago i lost my or almost lost my goggles i got hit pretty hard in the face lost my swim cap and had to put my goggles back on um was able to grab them but almost lost them so i was a little worried about that it was fine this time we had a little bit more space for some reason they were not like all jammed on top of us um so me and my buddy were lined up and it started pretty aggressive but not to the point it was too much 500 yards in i found some feet and i never stopped following those feet the rest of the whole swim was literally on that person's feet if he would go left i would go left if he would go right i would go right and so we got out of the water together so 59 minute swim just just under just under 60 minutes how did that compare to previous years for me swimming under an hour is a challenge like so if i swim under an hour especially without a wetsuit that's that's good uh, my goal um like was to get an hour <laughs> i told my parents it's not going to be 65 it's not going to be 55 it's probably going to be like right around 60 and indeed it was like i don't know 59 40 or something or yeah. high four yeah. you um, feel like you save some energy on the feet yeah. as far as like uh, six out I, of ten effort like- totally i i think that's the most important thing in an ironman swim you don't want to use any energy if you have a fuel tank you want to come out of the the wallet with a 95% filled fuel tank. And that's really what it was. I, I didn't waste any energy, literally no energy. I was probably swimming like four out of 10 the nice. whole time. Nice. And every time I would try to like go by him, I would be swimming eight out of them and we would go to the same pace. I wouldn't even drop him. I wouldn't even pass him. So it would be literally, okay, I'm just going to put my ego aside and I'm going to go right where I was because that was my comfy spot. So yeah. that's what I did the whole time. That was one thing with the the Cozumel swim. I know you've done Cozumel many times. Makes it easy to to swim four out of ten, and you can cut ten minutes off of your time just because of just because <laughs> okay. you're going down yeah. downstream. Yeah, I definitely went a couple of times under an hour there, but that's really no reference. Uh, <laughs> I think the first time where I started feeling that I actually could do it in Hawaii as well was in St. George earlier this year, where I came out of 50, in fifty nine something as well. Mm. um and that was with a wetsuit so i was like oh sure. okay if i can just get my fitness a little bit higher and then be strategic in my swimming corner i can actually do it and i think the time itself is also depending on the conditions and really like you said i think is not so much if i would have taken two minutes or a minute uh, slower 
if it even saved me more energy. Uh, but in this case, I was just so comfortable that it was perfect. And then yeah. that's, I think, the main goal, not wasting energy. <laughs> yeah. In this. So then you got on the bike and went to work on a, a beautiful day. At least it was for the pros. Now, did, was it, it wasn't very windy. Um, no, conditions were, were great. Yeah, the conditions were amazing. Um, we did have a little bit of a, a headwind going out of Kona. And I think there I was able to work with a guy, um, like a bigger guy who was going very hard in the beginning. So when I was holding my 265 uh, watt targets, my Ironman watts, and kept my uh, legal distance from him, I was still pushing those watts and he was going like in front of me. So like it's, yeah, it, that was definitely uh, in a way lucky that he was going pretty hard. And then when I would take over, I would just sit at my own pace not get carried away and then he would be behind me and so we worked together the two of us in the beginning we picked up someone else um from swift from that from that group um along the way to waikoloa and then when we got to waikoloa there was a massive like group of probably 10 to 15 guys uh and they were i would say not really legally working together so there was still a lot of drafting honestly um, so I, I didn't really want to pull that train all the way to Javi, went straight to the front of that one and told my guys, let's just drive away from them, like go harder, short, hard pulls, and let's try to get some distance in these guys. But then my two guys didn't really want to come over and I just did it by myself. And then I dropped the whole thing, the whole, it was a very aggressive move from my end because it's scary to go 310 watts in the beginning of the race for like 10 minutes to to drop them but I, I think i'm experienced enough now that from other races i've seen it where they just sit on your wheel for like 50 miles and you're just sure. pulling them all the way so i didn't want to have that i just wanted to like get to the front of the race and do my own race so i went hard dropped them um and then rode my own pace again uh and then on the climb to have saw another group from the distance took a long time to get close to them and it took a lot of like moderate surges to get closer and finally got them and I, I could tell that the front guy was not very happy with the dynamics of that group he was kind of yelling and was trying to like get other people to come over and and, and do more work um, and I think in a way that kind of slowed it down so I got to that group um, the last guy left the gap right away so I had jump to that and then my competition uh angle um he was there in third so i was like whoa is he is here already i'm in the, i must be close to the front he's he's uh, a good he's a good swimmer right so um you know he's you you picked up a good good gap by getting to him he yeah. won his age group in um in st george so i knew like okay this is this is where i need to be but right at that time we were still climbing to have the front guy attacked like all out like he went all in and i don't know i just reacted went over angle and just jumped again another 10 minutes of 300 or more um which hurt really bad and i it was probably borderline stupid to do that mm -hmm. um but i stayed with him ish and then uh, i looked back and everyone else was gone um and then i was ready to start counting bikes at the Javi turnaround and uh, there was no one coming back. So at that point, I was like, oh, my God, we're leading this thing. So the three of us, two, two guys and me, we were like the first to turn. And, uh, yeah, that was like I got super excited, went straight to the front of the race and started going pretty hard downhill. Um, and I think maybe one or two guys uh, were able to follow. I also had ridden Javi several times, probably in the last two months, like, eight nine ten times maybe okay. so you, that helps a lot <laughs> knowing the course is probably the, the biggest advantage i had mm -hmm. um knowing all the potholes knowing all the turns knowing all the little parks knowing how the wind changes um so i pushed really hard downhill and then at the 75 mile aid station there was no one ready yet i went in there first and i didn't get water so that was probably the mm. biggest mistake of the race like i tried like the lady was surprised to try to give me a bottle but then i dropped it because mm. she would like kind of handed it me last minute my the guy who was still with me he stopped and like actually grabbed water but i was already past it so then all the way to waikoloa i was 
was probably another 40 minutes. I didn't have water anymore. That was very scary. Heart rate immediately like to 160. Um, had to slow down quite a lot. And that made the other guy come back, which was good because otherwise I was up the front by myself and I had to ride another 40 miles all the way home. Uh, so then Waikola, I took my time at the aid station, replenished on like <laughs> grabbed four bottles of water. Um, and I dunked probably another two over my head to cool down. And then the two of us, um, we rode together. I could feel like he didn't want to drop me anymore. Maybe he couldn't drop me anymore. I could definitely not drop him anymore. And so we just kind of took our pulls uh, every 10 minutes, took over. And then at the very end, the last 15, 20 miles, I think he didn't want to come over at all anymore. So then I started just riding my own pace. We had a tailwind at that point. And then uh, we, the two of us, and he ended up being a Belgian guy too. I didn't even know. We were talking in, in English. Um, but yeah, the two of us came into transition together. And then um, much later until probably halfway through the race i didn't realize that he wasn't even in my age group he right. came from behind from the 3034 and he was oh, never wow. my and i didn't know that until yeah much later so your bike split was um 431 you you averaged almost 25 miles per hour i'm, I'm guessing that's the fastest bike that you've had in kona right definitely by far yeah what was your Average power or uh, or normalized? My normalized power was, I think, two sixty one. And your goal was two sixty five. You said right. So, what does that where does that put your FTP? Uh, how often? I guess it, I don't know if you do FTP tests, but uh, your threshold approximately. Um, I don't typically do an FTP test, but um, I've done it in the past and compared it to my lactate measurements and like my estimate from lactate. And it's pretty comparable. Even if I do a one-hour test at the polar fields, it's very comparable. So it, I think it tracks really well. I think going into this race, my my uh, FTP was like 345, 350. That's um, incredible. Yeah. yeah. So, so in a way, then 260, I think it's still relatively conservative. So, and that's also how it felt. I didn't feel like I was riding hard, uh, very controlled for most of the time. I definitely faded a little bit towards the end uh which i think is pretty normal all those surges too um i think the surges itself were probably the biggest gambles and then the rest was pretty just moderate tempo within myself yeah and just looking at your position you look like you have a, a, a very aggressive position what's your what is your height five nine okay yeah, yeah. and weight approximately i was 153 going into this race 152 yep. So about 67 kilograms. So yeah, I'll, I'll do the math, but that's a, that's a pretty impressive watt per kilogram FTP. So that's what, that's what, that's what we, that's what I have to do. Right. I just need to raise my FTP by about 50 and then I can keep up with Tom. Or, or, or lose Amazing. I'm at the same weight, about the same height. Maybe I've got, an, I've maybe got an inch on you, but my FTP is 300 and yours is, yours is 360. That's, that's the difference. So I think FTP is one thing, but it's also, I can be very comfortable for a very long time at 280, 275. Like that's really, my lactate is very low. And then compared to some training buddies who are more like 70.3 athletes, their lactate is slightly higher at that same relative intensity. Um, Can you give us that number? What uh, what your sweet spot heart rate is? Or or your uh, lactate? My my lactate up to 280 is oh, still only 1.6. Oh, my it doesn't, gosh. Oh, my gosh. All right. Yeah. I've got some work to do. Yeah, that's, that's quite <laughs> It doesn't really increase until, let's say, 300. Yeah. Awesome. And then, it's, yeah. Uh, and then it goes really quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's that's what knowing what your lactate uh, zones are and training below for you, below two, right? Exactly. Um, exactly. And then above. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then when I do threshold work, it's – it's about 3.2. That's like what I target. So yeah. if it's like top threshold, if like do workouts around 320, some eight minute intervals, then my, my lactate target is 3.2. And if it's like four or something, then I would decrease my, my intensity. If it's only under three, then I would increase my intensity for the next rep. So that's kind of how we use it. Yeah. So you, you got off your bike and you said you took off on the run. Um, maybe went out a little faster than you had anticipated. I'm guessing 
you were feeling pretty good off the bike and to be on your legs running. It was that hat that he wore, the shirt. Um, yeah, get back to that for sure. But uh, I think, yeah, I just got really excited. Um, coming in first, it was just like kind of wild. You know, I wasn't expecting that. I was actually talking to my fiance before and I was like hoping to be in top 10 in my age group at that oh, wow. point. That kind of like, I'm going to have to run for it. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I'm going to have to catch people. Um, and in the last 10K, hopefully someone blows up so I can make it to the podium. I was never expecting to be first off the bike, uh, let alone with such a lead. Um, so I think I got a little excited. I felt really good. And then the plan was to run 640, but even 630 felt pretty easy at that point. So I was okay. intentionally holding back, really just focusing on nutrition. And then I was like, okay, if I feel this good and I can put some time in my competition, I may as well go for it. Um, and it wasn't until... Probably ten miles in, when I started slowing down uh, a little bit, and maybe more running at my realistic <laughs> marathon pace off the bike. And did you did you have people out on the course, kind of telling you oh, where people were at? That I think is the biggest uh, difference with any other race. Like you go to another race, and there's like a few people you know, and they're cheering for you, and it's amazing. But here we had thirty five uh, EMJ uh, athletes racing. And they all bring spectators. And then I know some other people from from other communities, triathlon communities. So I think there was like 150 people yelling at me that I know. And then another like 300 people that I don't really know. So there is always someone yelling at you and cheering for you. And then on top of that, people um, knew where I was and they're on the tracker. So they're giving me splits every two, three, four miles. Wow. It's yeah, day and night. Like having support like that is just um yeah mind-blowing and it really lifts you up it's just you kind of run on this cloud and then if you get confirmation that you're running faster than the second person i mean then then of course you're gonna like be all excited and and, and you don't really feel the pain to, to the same extent and and yeah it, it was right. amazing yeah so just so our listeners know emj everyman jack so tom is part of that amazing group of fast guys um the Everman Jack team. I do love the shampoo and uh, body wash. Um, I can I can show a, a picture of it later, but I do have all the EMJ. I'm Everman not sure if that quite stuff. gets you to the level. Yeah, of, they, they, I haven't got the uh, the the uh, uh, application to join the team yet. So, but uh, that's open. a that's a pretty it's a pretty great team. It seems like, and I, I think there's also an advantage that there there was a group of 25 to 29 year olds that raced on Thursday that were on the course. I'm I'm assuming. Uh, watching all the um, other men yeah, age group. Two of my good friends actually podiumed in the 25 29 uh, um, age group that Thursday, which was really fun because we were all cheering for them. It was amazing. Sure. So, any uh, any low spots? I, 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 it sounds like the, the run. I mean, when I see pictures or videos of you running, you had a smile on your face the entire time. I don't, I don't know if you had any low spots. But it just—I uh, know that 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 course can be so challenging in that second half. Absolutely, um, I think the lowest, mentally the lowest point is is, is really just to finish. Although in this specific race, usually uh, it's a mental battle. I mean, it's just fighting the voices in your head to be to be positive and not like give in on all the negative thoughts you're you're getting. It's just your brain starts to protect your body from digging that deep and so it's kind of a natural um response to like slow down slow down or, or walk or whatever like that's how your brain thinks because they're trying to it's trying to protect you um but then you have to find a positive way or something to hold on to that gets you through that i feel this race was maybe less pronounced because um because I was searching a lead and I at the end had like eight minutes. So I could be a little bit nicer to myself. I could give myself a few extra seconds at the aid stations. Um, my friends were all cheering for me. And, and so like you're definitely running on a little bit of this cloud, although physically I'm destroyed. And mm -hmm. like I'm worried at any second I can cramp and I had cramped before. And so it's like just make it to the finish line. Try to stay focused try to still eat um 
yeah, you're definitely dehydrated. Um, I got really sleepy for some reason this mm-hmm. time too, which is very interesting. Um, but I think it just, yeah, shows that your your body is just going through such a yeah crazy battle that at, at, at the very end you're breaking down and you just really want to get to the finish line. Mm-hmm. You just really want to get it over with. And high fiving is like hard because you don't want to do any weird movements to, that that would trigger a cramp or stuff like that. Um, so I think it was not until the finish line, like the last kind of two, three hundred meters, where I really started to enjoy it, um, like really started to kind of soak it in and, and really slow down in the in the finishing shoot. Uh, but before that, I think it was all this like worried feelings and anxiety around cramping or blowing up or just yeah. passing out. <laughs> that was mentally and physically pretty pretty uh destroyed at that point yeah. well you, d- you did it and yeah so the total total time 8 41 30 uh first place 35 to 39 year old and on that saturday you finished was- third in overall age group yeah yeah that's that's incredible uh really and for for uh for a guy in my age group um um i i'm not as uh, yeah i'm not we're not going to be competing but um i look forward to seeing you in kona next year i'm assuming you're going to be there again I don't know yet. We'll see. Ah, okay. I take a big break first, and I did qualify because I won my age group, but I'm not sure. Uh, we'll see. What What is your next race? Are you doing Cozumel again in a couple of weeks? No, no, no. It's obviously <laughs> racing anymore. Although I love that race, and I did it three years in a row. I love that race. Um, no, I don't really have anything. I, my fiance talked me into accepting my spot for Finland, for Ironman 70.3 Finland, the world. Nice which I qualified for in Santa Cruz a couple of weeks ago. Um, so I have the option to do that. We'll see. We'll see what life brings and we'll see where we are next year. But first, I want to do some cyclocross races. I want to mm-hmm. do gravel races and, and then we'll see. Yeah. So it sounds like you're kind of entering your off-season right now, kind of, you know, just staying active. Very, and very much. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And that's important too. I think that's, you know, sometimes... You know, as endurance athletes, we we want to keep it going, keep it going. But that off season is kind of what allows you to recover a little bit and then come back stronger and fitter for totally. the next season. So, so important, so important, especially with this one. COVID kind of pushed out Kona several times, and so my build, I feel, has been three years instead of <laughs> sure. one. Right. Yeah. Um, and I did have a few. Uh, off seasons or, or breaks in between but still it's been a very long build towards this momentum and so now i really want to soak it in celebrate it and the last time you raced kona, uh, kona you got 64th in your age group this time you got first so tell, <laughs> tell the listeners um like what is your one piece of advice like for anybody that's kind of you know i would say borderline they, they maybe they've been trying to qualify for kona and they haven't gotten there Obviously, this upcoming year, there's going to be a, a few more uh, spots. Um, so hopefully, that'll help. But what is what is something that you would tell somebody that, that's been maybe they've maybe they've done three Ironmans and they they haven't qualified yet and they've been borderline? What would you what would you I say? Sure you guys, um, over the years, I've always followed a few people, uh, coached them, and actually two of them now also qualified for Kona, um, which was amazing. So they went to Kona as well for the first time for them. And I think, first of all, consistency, I think, is number one. Like, just not really having that Kona spot as a as a goal. or I mean, it can be a dream and, it, and, and to some extent a goal, but it should not be an obsession. And you always have fun with your training. And I think that's also how they've approached it. Um, but then if you do have that as, like, a dream, you want to be you want to be selective of the races you do. You want to you want to be smart about it. <laughs> And you want to pick a race, I think that's how they both qualified, that is happening right around the world. <laughs> because a lot of stronger guys are going to Kona or going to another world championship race. They're not going to be at those uh, other races. And then another uh, way of kind of filtering out the, the competitive field is races that happen within a relatively small region like the north american region on the same weekend or back to back like that is going to help you not being against five strong guys but maybe only two right <laughs> uh, yeah. but that's really 
kind of the advice I give. Um, and then once you finally get there, if when you, once you finally go to Kona, the first time you go to Kona, you don't go to race it. You go to have fun. <laughs> you don't go to Kona to race the first time you get there. Because I did that and it was terrible. And then my experience was still amazing, but it's not quite the same. Like I wish I would have not had any ambitions. Um, and my naivety was still like to somehow do well, but it's so incredibly hard to do well in Kona if you've never raced Kona. And if you're not really going to do well, you may as well just really focus on having fun there. Sure. Um, I think that's probably my biggest advice for people that have never been. Just have fun when you finally get to Kona and forget about all your ambitions or times and just soak it all in, go to the underpants run, go to all the other <laughs> side events and, and really bring your family there and celebrate triathlon there because it's really the pinnacle of, of triathlon there. The community there is amazing. The cheering, the support, the, all the all the little uh, expo uh, uh, things are just exponentially cooler Um so you really want to focus on that rather than your your race itself, which is really just secondary at that point. That's some great advice, Tom. Um, again, I, I uh, really appreciate your time and uh, uh, congratulations on your finish. I look forward to yeah. possibly seeing you in Kona next year. But if you're not there, that just means I moved up one spot in the age group. So um, <laughs> I'll take that as well. But your your advice is right on consistency. I think when we do these interviews, everybody's going to say consistency. Um, I like the advice around being strategic about picking the course. Um, I would also recommend that as well. And that's, that's exactly what I did this year. I picked Wisconsin and I raced Wisconsin, which was a month before Kona. And I knew that there was most, a lot, a lot of top age group or a lot of age group athletes were going to be racing Kona that year from North America because of COVID. They had a lot of slots given out to us racers. Um, yeah. So, and I, I appreciate the having fun. Cause I think, you know, I mean, it's a sport. We work hard. We train hard. <laughs> if you don't enjoy it, you know, what is it all for? So yeah, oh, it's um, my first three rules, have fun, have fun, <laughs> fun. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Um, do you have any, anywhere podcast listeners could, could follow your journey? Um, are you on Instagram or I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram. Yeah, of course. And, and if they're looking for, it sounds like he coaches some friends. Maybe if you're his friend, you want to be coached. There you go. It's a great, great opportunity. And you can always buy some everyman Jack gear and I'm sure you, you have go. a coupon code of some, some sort, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Thank, thanks, Tom. Appreciate yeah. your time. Enjoy. Enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks, thanks Tom. Tom. Bye. Thank you for listening to Mission Kona Podcasts. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Do you know an athlete who has a great story for a future podcast? Send us a message at missionconapodcast.com. Reach out anytime through our website or on Instagram at missionconapodcast. Till next time, think positive, have fun, and stay focused on your mission to Kona.